Okay. Um, last week we talked about what is the church. This week we're going to talk about the relationship between Israel and the church. Is there a relationship? And if there is, what is it? Is there differences? What is it? And um, what I hope to communicate to you tonight is um, the truth that, um, based on the testimony of Scripture, the church is the true Israel. And I hope to show that to you. I want to clarify before we get started, when I say that the church is the true Israel, what I mean by that, if you remember, we talked about the visible and invisible. The invisible church, that which we cannot see, that which only God can see, the hearts of those who He has redeemed for Himself. The invisible church is the true Israel. And I hope we kind of, we'll try to kind of connect what I'm going with that. Um, go ahead to the second slide, Cortland. The church is the redeemed from all time, past, present, future. We talked about that last week. Israel is the true church. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who was also from the lineage of Abraham by birth. We're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to work our way through that, that entire chapter tonight. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews 11, that is where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, as you're looking, um, I don't know what you're heading for that particular um, section is, but it's widely known as the roll call of faith from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, opens... Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. That's how the book of Hebrews opens up. Again, we talked a little bit last week about the nature of the New Testament. This is another epistle in the New Testament, and by that meaning this is a letter to the church, for the church, for encouragement, for instruction. But again, particularly the first century church for whom it was written. The first century church was under extreme persecution from two sides. They had the uh, Roman Empire, which had control of the known world at the time. And they also had the religious, Jewish religious leaders who were after them because uh, of which Paul was one. If you remember the story of Paul, Paul was on his way with papers to arrest, imprison, and possibly execute those who called uh, Jesus the Messiah and those that followed Him. Those are the two people, the two groups, that when I say persecute, we really have no framework in our day and age of the kind of persecution the, our, the first century church went through. Um, but He's going to take us through that. So in the context of Hebrews... That's where we are, and this is who it's about. So to our text, first three verses, next slide. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what 
Uh, what was seen was not made out of what is seen is not made out of things visible. Here we uh, this word commendation carries with it the idea of um, it's a testimony um, that they received their testimony. They received their commendation by faith. The Old Testament saints were brought in to the kingdom of God, and he's laying this out for us. Assurance of things hoped for. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. The apostle Peter tells us that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Next slide. Now we're going to start with a roll call. Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel was, the seed, was a seed of the woman, Eve, that God promised would bruise the head of the serpent. We know from Scripture as well as history that Abel was not the promised seed. In fact, the next chapter of Hebrews tells us that but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the promised seed from Eve that will and in fact has bruised the head of the serpent. Here we see Abel again. Who is Abel? Who is this person Abel? Huh? Yeah, I'm asking you. The brother of Cain. That's right. What happened to Cain? I mean to Abel. Yep, the post-fall, after the fall, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, the very first recorded post-fall sin for us is brother murdering brother. A brother murders a brother, and Abel is that brother that was killed. And this text say, says that even though he died, Abel still speaks. The church is the true Israel. Next slide. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Who knows who Enoch is? Anybody? Go ahead. Hmm? Is that true? Very, very good. That's exactly right. He is found in Genesis 5 in the refrain, the tracing of Adam to Noah, and the refrain is repeated, and he died, and he died, and he died. And this is the group that, you know, that, that lived what we would think is very, um, I mean, almost impossibly long lives. We're talking seven, eight, nine hundred years and then they died. But every single one of them died except for Enoch. For Enoch... Uh, was taken. Next one. Noah. 
By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We all know who Noah is, right? Who's Noah? Noah and the ark. That's right. But it says that he, in reverent fear, constructed the ark. God condemned the entire world to this point. Everything, every living thing on the face of the earth, he destroys through the floodwaters. Again, the thing that makes Noah's story so fantastic is most would say that to this point it had not rained. And he's been 70 years building this massive boat and preaching repentance. But his proximity, your proximity to Noah would not have saved you. You must be in the ark with Noah for him to be brought through the floodwaters. And it is by faith that Noah did this. By faith that he did this. Next. Next. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was receiving inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Genesis chapter 12 opens with the call of Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Who is the I will here? Who is the I and the I will? God. Take note of these when you read your Bible. When God says I will, He doesn't ask for your help. He does not need your help. It is a clear indication that I will do this. I have said I will do this and I will do this. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham did not have any children at this time. He and his wife Sarah were very old. At this time Abraham would have been 75 years old when God made him this promise. Concerned that he had no heir or offspring of his own, that Eliezer of Damascus would be his heir, Abraham inquired of God, how will this be? In Genesis chapter 15, God answers Abraham, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your, your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This Genesis chapter 15 is a really important passage. And this is again, this is where God ratifies the covenant with Abraham. It is the passage y'all should be familiar with, but just kind of a refresher. It is the passage where God tells Abraham, bring me these animals, and Abraham cuts them in half. Now, God didn't tell him to cut them in half. Abraham knew why he was bringing these, okay? This was the way that they ratified covenants in the ancient East, okay? So he brings him these animals, he cuts them in half, and what would have happened here is you would have had two parties that would have made a covenant, they would have made agreement between two parties, and where we would sign on a dotted line now, or we would shake hands or something, that's how we would ratify a covenant or an agreement. And this day they cut the animals in half, they're dead now, you cut an animal in half, they're dead. 
and they would walk through the animals' carcasses, through the blood and all that is entailed with cutting an animal in half. And they would say, if I break my part of the promise, may what has been done to these animals be done to me. That is what is happening in Genesis 15. God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And Abraham has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass between these animals. This is representative of God. Ratifies a covenant with Abraham by himself. God swore by himself. That is an unbreakable covenant. Okay? Next. Next slide. Um, By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In Genesis 26, God promises Isaac, Abraham's son, that he will bless him. The same promise made with his father Abraham, God promises Isaac. He will give him the promised land and multiply Isaac's offspring as the stars of heaven. And through Isaac's seed, the nations will be blessed. This is the same promise he made to his father. He is making with Isaac. Again, Isaac um, gets this same promise made to him. And in Genesis chapter 35, we see that Jacob is made the same promise. Jacob is Isaac's son, Abraham's grandson. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land of promise to your offspring after you. Again, repeated the same promise. Um, And he even reiterates another promise that he has also made with Abraham, where he says, Nations shall come from you, and a company of kings, and kings shall come from you. Okay. So, as we see here, Jacob, uh, God's progressive revelation to this promise and the nature of the promise is revealed as Scripture progresses. That is the nature of which God um, reveals what He's doing in His redemptive purposes throughout history. We've talked about uh, Abel being the promised seed of the woman. There is nothing implicit in Genesis 3.15, where there's the fall and God pronounces the curses, that says that this is Jesus. That we should read that and stand alone and go, well, this is clearly looking to Jesus, that they would have known that as well. There's nothing in that that tells us that. How do we know that the promised seed that he promised Eve would be uh, Jesus? Anybody? The testimony of Scripture. As God progressively reveals His plan of redemption, as we read the totality of Scripture and the Old Testament particular and the coming of Christ, we see 
that God, when He promised Eve back in the garden, or when He pronounced the, uh, the curse on Satan, that you will bruise His heel, but He will, uh, he will crush your head. That is Jesus, and we know that based on the testimony of Scripture. Uh, next one, Andre. The promise hasn't changed. Rather, God reveals more details to Jacob of the nature of the promise. God made the same promise to Abraham back in Genesis 17 when he gave the sign of the covenant. Anybody? What's the sign of the covenant God made with Abraham? Anybody? What's the sign of the covenant? Circumcision. Circumcision. God tells Jacob the kings will come from him. One of Jacob's twelve sons is Judah. And when Jacob is very old and near death, he blesses Judah along with his brothers. In Genesis chapter 49, we read of the blessing to Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, this is the uh, New American Standard translation of that verse here, because I didn't particularly like the way they translated it in the ESV, just to be honest. Um, the ESV translated it um, until tribute comes to him. So I looked up the word. Again, I'm not a scholar, but if I can do this, you can do this. So I looked up, what does Shiloh mean? I don't know what Shiloh means. I didn't know what Shiloh means, but I looked it up. And when you see the, trans, the, the word that they used to translate Shiloh here for the meaning, it makes, it works better. Okay? The scepter and the ruler's staff are things carried by kings symbolizing sovereign authority. And this word Shiloh is a messianic title, meaning he whose it is. King David is in the line of Judah. God's covenant promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 has its temporal fulfillment in David's son Solomon. Solomon succeeds David on the throne of Israel, as Israel's king, but the messianic overtones in the covenant with David are unmistakable. Again, if you translate that, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he whose it is comes. Well, we know, again, from the testimony of Scripture, all of creation is his. Creation was created by Jesus for Jesus until he whose it is comes. So we get, again, more uh, allusions and, and, and types of and pointing to Jesus in this promise um, through Abraham, Isaac, and J Jacob, and then to just the, the, the practice of a father blessing his children before he dies. And in the blessing to Judah, we read this. This is a promise. The scepter shall not depart. It's a kingly scepter. But until Shiloh comes, that is a messianic king they're looking for. So we're progressively, he's progressively revealing what he's doing through this nation Israel. And we see it. He shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, Solomon builds the temple. when uh, He builds the first temple in Jerusalem. He's the one that builds the first temple. So that is fulfilled in that second Samuel passage. But the forever part of the kingdom is pointing to Jesus. Because I can assure you, 
David as well as Solomon are both dead. They are no longer with us. But Jesus, I can assure you, is still alive and ruling. Uh, by faith, we're going to Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Sarah, it said herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, which meant she was no longer childbearing. She had no ability. She was too old to have children, simply too old. And him as good as dead, talking about Abraham, he also was past the age of having children. So this birth of Isaac from Abraham and Sarah this promised son was miraculous. Only God could have done this because both were physically incapable of, of having children. Sarah's faith opened her wound in a, a womb in, an, in her old age and she gave birth to the promised heir, Isaac. It's important to note here that this faith is a gift of God as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God so that no one may boast. This is as true for the Old Testament saints as it is for us in the New Testament. That's been God's pattern and purpose in saving people. At the Tower of Babel, God confused the language of the people and scattered them, creating from them one people and language into many peoples and languages. This is where we get the birth of nations. God calls Abraham out of these nations, specifically Ur of the Chaldeans, and makes him into a great nation, a nation that would be a blessing to all nations, and this nation is Israel. As we've seen in this passage from Hebrews, this has been God's purpose and pattern from the beginning. God has always chosen whom he will save, irrespective of nationality. Or have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? The oldest book of the Bible we have is Job, the book of Job. Job lived about the same time as Abraham in the land of Uz. Like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Job was not an Israelite because the nation of Israel did not exist in Job's day. However, based on the testimony of Scripture, these men were chosen by grace through faith in Jesus according to the sovereign saving purpose of God. Next slide. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. A few things there is all of these died in faith. They hadn't received the promise, but they believed God. It's a gift. God gave them the gift of faith, saving faith. And they were not looking for the city from which they left, but they were looking forward. If you see one of the things that continually plagued Israel after the exodus from Egypt, specifically the wilderness generation, 
One of the things that plagued them constantly, they desired to go back to Egypt. That was a, that was a problem for them. As they were, they cried to God, deliver us from the slavery to this nation, Egypt. And God grants that to them. Yet when they get to the wilderness, they cry Complain to Moses, have you brought us out here to die? We had it better in Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. That was a problem for Israel because they did not have the faith um, to believe God. And again, their story and the story of Israel um, bears testimony to that. The church is the true Israel. However, um, at this point, Scripture begins to focus on the descendants of Abraham for the rest of the Old Testament. God's covenant promise with Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. Someone look up Galatians 3, 15 through 18 for me, please. Who got it? Anybody? Go ahead, Josiah. And then I need Romans 4, 13. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Logan. When you get there, go ahead. Uh, 3, 15 through 18. Uh-huh. And Logan. I did. The promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham, but to his seed through the law of the righteousness. Okay. So we see there, and again, this is calling back the passage that Josiah read to what that covenant with Abraham. Because in that chapter 15 ratifying of the covenant, he tells them the, the vision. He gives them the vision that you will be uh, exiles for this 430-year period. And they were in Egypt. So we get this and he tells us. The Apostle Paul, New Testament, first century church, writing to the Galatian church in the first century, is explaining to them who Christ is and that this promise is from God to Abraham have been fulfilled and have seen their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have to assume he tells us that. Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us that. We read that again in the passage that Logan read. We'll get an even better picture in this same book of Hebrews. Chapter 6, verse 13 through uh, 20 
gives us a fuller picture of what's happening here uh, at Genesis 15 when God promises Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when they desired to show more conventionally to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, remember, these, these letters, the books of the Old, of New Testament, are written to the first century church who after the resurrection and ascension of Christ is undergoing extreme persecution. We don't have the framework for it in our day. So it's hard for our minds to go to where they are. However, if you read this, uh, if you read this passage and you are experiencing that kind of persecution and you're wondering what is happening, this is a a very reassuring promise of God's faithfulness that even though it does not seem like God is fulfilling His promises like He has promised, they get this. So we, have, so we who have fled might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You don't have to believe me. That's what the Scripture says right here. The author of Hebrews says that. The church is the true Israel. Let's continue. Next slide. Huh? Okay. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up, offered up Isaac. And he, he whom had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, to whom it was said, Though Isaac, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Again, we see this type and foreshadowing of Christ. Abraham has this impossible son with his wife Sarah. Isaac, his only son, this miracle baby. And his faith, by the grace of God, has been so strengthened that when God tells him to offer him up as a sacrifice, Abraham's obedient. And he is about to kill and offer up his, his son as a sacrifice. And if you look at the story, not only is he going to take him up and sacrifice his only son, but Isaac helps him carry the utensils for him to be killed and the burnt offering, the wood to, be, to, to offer the burnt offering to the Lord. That clearly foreshadows and prefigures Christ. Christ carried his cross to Calvary. He carried the cross for his ultimate sacrifice. 
God gave His only Son that we might be redeemed. Next slide. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of these sons of Joseph. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Next one. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkled blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Again, this refrain, by faith, by faith. Next slide. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By the way, Rahab is not an Israelite. But she, again, in case, let me just make this clear, in case you were wondering... Everyone that has been listed here by name, we cannot on our own tell who will be, uh, who, has, who has entered the presence of the Lord. But we know that these people have because the Scriptures calls them by name. Okay? And how do I know that? I'll, I'll tell you at the end. But Rahab is another. She's not an Israelite by birth. And on top of it, she's a prostitute. Yet she is named among those who by faith. Next slide. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skin, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy." wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Again, this is an encouraging word for persecuted people in the first century. These people, by faith, endured the same things. Because they refused to accept release, they were not going to deny Christ. Again, they were looking forward to Christ. They were looking forward to the promises. They, by, by grace, believed God through faith of the promise of God, the future promise. They're looking forward. We look back. So that they might rise again to a better life. 
You hear people talk all the time. Joel Osteen wrote, uh, years ago, wrote this best-selling book that, that many of the church eat up. Your best life now. If this is your best life, you will spend eternity separated from Christ in hell. This is not our best life. We are sojourners and aliens in this life. If you are born, if you are born again. Uh, next one. Next slide, please. And all these, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. These saints of old, by faith, believed the promise of God. In fact, the Old Testament canon closes with the prophet Malachi. From the time of Malachi to the time, of John the, the time that John the Baptist enters, calling for repentance was 400 years of silence where God did not speak any new revelation to Israel. They had the scriptures from Genesis through Malachi, but there was no new revelation until after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And a point of clarification that we get the gospel accounts. So while Jesus is on the earth, when he begins his ministry, that three-year period from um, him coming back from being tempted to dying on the cross, that three-year period... There's ministering, so there's new, there's new being proclaimed, okay? So, uh, but the time of silence was stopped when John the Baptist announces, Behold the Lamb of God. This is who the promises that we've talked about from the Old Testament. This is Him. This is who the Old Testament is talking about. This is the promise to the fathers, uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Apostle Peter helps us to further understand the nature of this promise of these saints of old. Next slide, please. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Salvation is a miracle. And salvation is 100% a work of God. And we've talked about it. Josh, I know if you've sat under Josh's teaching for any time, you know that this is true from Scripture. The church is the true Israel. I want you to get that. The nation of Israel was born and was born of God in his promises to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the express purpose of bringing about the Messiah in Israel. And the Old Testament scriptures we have, God's revelation to Israel and through Israel, we can trace the lineage of Jesus from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Joseph to David to the harlot Rahab to the Moabite woman Ruth and her husband Boaz, and on it goes. Despite the efforts of Satan, the nations, and sinful, disobedient Israel to thwart the sovereign purpose of God to bring about his Messiah, God proved faithful. Because, of, because for God to being unfaithful is an impossibility. In the four gospel accounts we read of the life and ministry of Jesus, in them Jesus tells us who he is and why he's come to the earth. The miracle of miracles. God takes on human flesh to redeem people for himself. He lives a life we could not live. 
dies a death we justly deserve. In the garden, God gave dominion over all creation to Adam. Adam, our federal head, failed. Jesus succeeded by living a sinless life and a propitiating death on Calvary's cross, becoming for us, as well as these saints of old, our new, better, our perfect federal head. And a caveat in there, where Adam, our federal head, failed, that seeded dominion over creation based on what Scripture says. Ephesians says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins following the course of the power of the air, the prince of the, prince of, the power the, the, of this world. Satan is the... He had dominion over this world. But no longer. No longer. This is a point of difference where I know Josh has talked about on Sunday nights where we have a point of difference. This would be a stark point of difference. I believe, based on what Scripture says... That when Christ entered His first advent, His first coming, that He inaugurated at His resurrection and ultimate ascension, the, uh, the, uh, His kingdom. He bound the strong man. I don't say that. Jesus Himself said that. The strong man has been bound. The strong man is Satan. He has taken dominion back from the enemy. He is ruling and reigning. He is ruling and reigning today. Satan no longer is the prince of this world. Christ is. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came, to the, came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Paul continues, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the numbers of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. And for the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And, Isaiah, and as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The church was born on Pentecost, after Christ's ascension. The kingdom of Christ has come, Again, in God's providence, really quick, at Pentecost, we know that the Old Testament, as He progressively reveals Himself to the nation of Israel, in their disobedience, the Israel ultimately splits, becomes two kingdoms, and those two kingdoms are dispersed to the nations in exile, uh, in captivity, as judgment on them because of their disobedience. God judges the nation 
and he scatters them from, Egypt, uh, from Israel. But in his providence, in scattering them, hundreds of years pass. And these people are in these areas, but they, they regularly make the journey back. And, and in God's providence, they return for Passover and to celebrate the feast that they had celebrated from the time that God gave them to Moses at Sinai, these feasts that he gave at the law. They had always observed them. So they return. And at Pentecost Sunday, in Jerusalem, the church was born. Peter preaches a sermon, and it says, they, their response is, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized. And he says, 3,000 souls were added that day. And they did this day after day, and day after day, those were added Numbers were added to the church. Souls were being saved day by day in Jerusalem. So he brings the nations back. Boom. And they hear and they, of this risen Christ and this message. And they hear the sermon that Peter preaches. The first sermon the church has ever heard is preached by Peter on Pentecost. The Spirit, is, the Spirit descends on the people and the church is born. And persecution comes. And they disperse. Where do they go? They go back to where they came from. Their homes were no longer in Israel anymore. They, had, they, they come from afar to these things. So in God's providence, now His gospel is spreading to the nations. And we get the account of these things from the apostles in the New Testament. Paul journeys through all of Asia Minor multiple times preaching the good news of Christ. The kingdom of Christ has come. It is a present reality. Jesus is on the throne, ruling and reigning this very moment. And for those of us who are in Christ, He gives us these final words before He ascends back to the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is not hyperbole. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. The end of the age, when He returns, is the end of the age. Our King reigns over His kingdom. He not only reigns, but our King is victorious. He has given us His gospel, His word to take to the nations, the life-saving gospel of which Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation. For everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If you have been born again, it is by God's grace through faith. That is the pattern from the beginning, and it will continue until after we see the Lord Jesus at His return. That's what I hope that you understand. The point of difference that I have, that Josh and I have, is, is really, it's not, it's a small thing, and he made sure, he, he wanted me to, to do this because he wants y'all to see the differences. That we can disagree and still be not just friends, but we're brothers. I love Josh. He loves me. And this disagreement does not change our, our, our being able to be in fellowship. 
together. Because the one truth that we do agree on, and everyone with a different eschatological position, Jesus is coming back. He absolutely is coming back. And we can agree on that. But until then, regardless of your position, He has given us His, his uh, great commission. He has told us, and given us His gospel, take it to the nations. And that does mean us. We take it to the nations, and that means you share it with anybody you have an opportunity to share it with. Because we are surrounded by unbelievers. And they are desperate. They're in desperate need to hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for these students. I thank you for the opportunity that I've had, uh, that you've given me these last two weeks to teach them. Father, I pray that, um, that it, uh, the message was clear, and I pray that if there was any confusion, Father, on my part, that you would clear that up, that I am indeed a, a, a flawed vessel, but your message, your gospel, your truth is absolutely perfect, and it is powerful to save. And I pray that... It will work to that end if it pleases you. In Christ's name, amen.